cleaning is an awful job. Wrong! Spring cleaning is an Ajax job. Friends, are we ready for 70 degrees this week? Yes. Oh, my goodness. So exciting. Hey, before we dig in to our content today, I have to let you know um, the passion with which your staff is pursuing excellence in our new building that we're you know, getting ready to move into uh, probably August. Um, I actually was in New York City this week with my wife. We were checking out different churches to get ideas for decor, and I found it. Okay, uh, Two mornings ago, uh, early in the morning, we were at Rockefeller Center, you know, 30 Rock, where the Christmas tree is. I look across the street, and I am so inspired that I text Randy immediately, and I said, stop the presses, go back to the architects, check out what I found. This is totally our new home. Look. I mean, I was like, this is going to be huge. Anyway, uh, if, you're vi- if you're visiting, I'm kidding. You're like, how do you go from where you are to that? You don't. So anyway, uh, we are in week three of a series that we've called Spring Cleaning. And the series Spring Cleaning is rotating around a question that we're beginning with each week. We'll put it up on the screen. It goes like this. Uh, why doesn't everyone who follows Jesus end up looking more like Jesus? Like for a lot of people, there's a point where they decide, yes, I'm going to follow Jesus and they begin to sort of get in the rhythm of, of church and, and Bible study and, and prayer. And over time, it's like they spend a lot of time investigating Jesus, but they don't actually end up looking more like Jesus. And yet there are other people who make a decision, and over time, they really do look more like Jesus. They become more gracious and generous and, and forgiving and, and shift from like an other or self-focused life to an other's focused life. And you can see it. I mean, following Jesus has made them better at life and has given them a better life. And so why is it that some people experience growth in that direction, spiritual growth, while others don't? It's it's a really great question. And we know at Keystone, a whole bunch of people will re-engage a faith journey here after taking some time away, after this moment where they thought, I'm just not sure this is working for me. And so the series Spring Cleaning is really my attempt to answer this question. Why is it that not everybody who decides to follow Jesus ends up looking more like Jesus? And I'm convinced that the why has everything to do with something the Bible calls your heart. Now, it's not the physical heart that like pumps blood through your body, but it's that invisible, intangible, emotional center of your life from which you live and love and learn and lust and make decisions. And whether you realize it or not, the heart has enemies that can really complicate life and complicate relationships. And so it really is critical that we learn to get our hearts clean and to keep our hearts clean. And, And if one of these four enemies, guilt, jealousy, anger, and greed, lodge in our heart, we need to make it our top priority to get rid of them. We gotta do whatever, whatever it takes. 
And it reminds me a little bit of an experience my wife and I had a few weeks ago. Many of you know that um, around Thanksgiving time, we moved into our very own fixer-upper, right? And if you walk into our home post-renovation, it literally looks like Joanna Gaines has thrown up all over the place, okay? Uh, and so a few weeks ago, my wife and I are sitting on the couch. The kids are in bed. Uh, we got a fire going in the fireplace. We're watching Netflix because that's what we do, right? And, and we're sitting there, and all of a sudden... There, we see something out of the corner of our eye that sort of flashes through our field of vision. And we both look at each other, and then we look around, and then it happens again. And friends, we had a bat in our house, right? And now I'm not a country person, okay? Um, I'm a city person, but since moving to the country, I have a septic field, I have a well, I have a fire pit, okay? And I'm learning. I bought a chainsaw, but it doesn't always go well. And this was not a great moment in our marriage because my wife screamed and dove under the coffee table. I also screamed and ran to the bedroom and closed the door. (laughs) Again, not a country person. Uh, So eventually we regrouped in the bedroom and after I received a talking to, um, we developed a plan to evict the bat who we named Wayne. (laughs) It's a slow burn. Think about that one. Yeah. Out of our house, it became our top priority, right? It's sort of everything else faded into the background. And I say this to tell you that if you have a bat in your house, you're focused on getting it out. But when it comes to our hearts, we're far less proactive. But, but it really is a big deal. Um, I've never met any family that fell apart because they had a bat in their house. But I know a whole bunch of families that have fallen apart because of matters of the heart. Toxic things get lodged in people's hearts and it it does all sorts of damage. And so it really shouldn't surprise us that the Bible talks a lot about our hearts in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. There's a verse we've used each week. um, It's recorded in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is a collection of wisdom sayings. Uh, written by Israel's King Solomon, who lived a thousand years before the time of Jesus, one of the wisest people ever to walk the face of the earth, one of the wealthiest people. And he collected things, but he also collected wisdom because he believed that the biggest gift he could give to future generations is wisdom. Because wisdom can transform a life. And so in Proverbs, you find wisdom on all sorts of areas of life. But then at one point in Proverbs 4, he writes these words. He says, above all else, like priority number one, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Say, Solomon, I mean, you've had so many experiences. You, you've, done, you've done it all. What's most important? He says, you need, to guard, you need to guard your heart. You need to know what to do to guard your heart, and you need to develop habits that can heal your heart once they're wounded. So in the series Spring Cleaning, like as the weather turns in the glorious state of Michigan, right? We're taking four weeks, and one at a time, we're looking at these four enemies of the heart. We've already talked about guilt and jealousy, and today we get to talk about anger. And in some ways, anger really is the most devastating enemy of all. And and most of us, actually all of us know what it's like to get angry in a moment, right? We've all experienced that, a few of us on the way to church this morning, but there's no judgment here, right? Um, but, But we also know people who seem to carry anger with them throughout life. And maybe that's you, and maybe that's someone you know But it's like we have people in our lives that are like volcanoes on the edge of eruption, right? And any little thing can set them off. And and the people who live with them and who love them know that they need to give them a little more space and a little more grace. 
And they're not sure why, but they're always right on the edge of eruption. They seem to carry anger with them. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit today and, and how that happens and what to do with it. But the good news is that none of us has to carry anger. There really is a way to heal your heart, but it's not simple, it's not quick, and it's not easy. And that's why so many people end up carrying anger from season to season in their life. So this has been a problem for as long as there have been people. So it shouldn't surprise us that the Bible contains incredible insights on what to do with the anger. You say, okay, you know, God, creator of heaven and earth, how, how would you coach us on what to do with our anger? And so there are insights all over the Bible. I want to just unpack one of them with you today. It's written by a man named Paul who was a pastor in the first century. Uh, he actually writes this letter from prison. And so Paul knew what it was like to get hurt by people. He knew what it was like to be angry. And he here's what he says. It's a letter um, called Ephesians, and it's written to Christians living in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. Here's what Paul says. He says to these young believers, um, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. And I love this verse because it's realistic. Paul says there are going to be moments in your life, there are going to be situations when anger will rise, when frustration will rise. And so notice Paul doesn't say, hey, followers of Jesus, don't get angry because that's not reasonable, right? It's not about what we feel. He's going to coach us about what we should do with what we feel. Don't deny the emotion, but you need to handle the emotion or manage the emotion. You need to be angry without hurting people in response to your anger. He continues. He says, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. In other words, um, I say it this way, don't carry today's anger into tomorrow and don't carry yesterday's anger into today. And you should know when Paul says, don't let the sun go down in your anger, this isn't something he made up. Um, this is a phrase that was popular in the first century. But he tells people, don't carry anger any longer than it is absolutely necessary. Be angry in the moment if you need to, but don't carry anger into your future. Okay? Uh, this is the origins of one of the most popular signs at Hobby Lobby, a store which I frequent quite often. Thank you. Right? Uh, that never go to bed angry. Maybe you have this hanging in your house, and it's a great rule of thumb as far as, you know, marriage is concerned. But if we're honest, there are anger issues you can't resolve before the sun goes down. They can't be resolved in a 24-hour period. Nonetheless, the force of this verse is clear. Don't carry anger any longer than you have to, and certainly don't carry it from relationship to relationship. Because when you do, that really, that really makes things complicated. And that Paul goes there next. He says, don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold, Okay. And there's a little Greek word, translated devil, that actually means accuser. So don't let the accuser have an opportunity to access your heart. Now, you don't need to believe in a devil to see what Paul is saying, right? But what he says here is, he says, when you carry anger, you open a door in your heart, and anger can enter and influence all of your relationships. And, and you've seen this. People who carry anger with them, bring chaos everywhere they go because free-flowing anger hurts relationships and even relationships that have nothing to do with the original source of the anger. Another way to understand anger is in terms of a debt-debtor relationship. So in this series, each week we've talked about a relational imbalance that causes the problem. Uh, we'll put it up on the screen to kind of review. We've said in week one that guilt is the voice that says, I owe you. 
Um, I took something from you and now I owe you. That's guilt. Uh, jealousy is the voice that says God owes me. Uh, I, I don't like where I am in life or the talents and abilities and, that I have. And I think God ripped me off. So God owes me. Anger says you owe me. Because whenever we're hurt or mistreated, there's a sense that the person who hurt us took something from us. It's like when your mom or your dad left, they took a piece of your childhood. When your ex left, they robbed you of a dream to finish this life with the person you married. When your boss unfairly lets you go, he's robbed you of financial security. So every time you're hurt, there's a sense that something was taken from you and you think, you owe me. You owe me a childhood. You owe me a future. You owe me a reputation. You owe me security. So in a sense, anger isn't just like an open door. Anger is like an open account. It's like I'm a, I'm a bookkeeper. I have a ledger, right? And according to my records, you owe me. And I'm not closing off the debt until you repay what you took from me. But here's where this gets sinister. Until you close the record, you carry the anger behind the scenes in your life. And one of the worst things you could do is to let, your, let the sun go down, not just on a day of anger, but on a season of life, and carry the anger from one season of life into another season. Paul would say to us, don't carry the anger from your childhood into your adolescence. Don't carry anger from your adolescence into single adulthood. Don't carry the anger from single adulthood into a first marriage. Don't carry the anger from a first marriage into a second marriage. Because whenever you allow the anger of one season of life into another, it's very easy to lose sight of the original hurt. And when that happens, all of your relationships can be in trouble. You find yourself in a new season of life and you're sure that the problem in this relationship is him. Or the problem in this relationship is her. But, but if you ask the other person, they would say, I, I don't think it's me. It's like you carried something into this relationship. And when you carried it into this relationship, it's kind of the thing that's causing all the problems. I mean, you were angry before we got married, and now you think I'm the cause of your anger. But again, I think it was in you when you got here. When you blame others for how you feel and they aren't the source of your hurt, then it's impossible for them to give you permission to close that account because that account isn't with them. And just a word to those of you who are in a dating relationship right now, and I've walked with married couples for 20 years and just, I mean, unsolicited piece of advice. I would say if you're engaged in a relationship with an angry person right now, it really doesn't matter how cute they are, and it really doesn't matter how rich they are. Uh, you probably need to run, okay? <laughs> Don't tell them right now, all right? Wait like three or four days and be like, yeah, I was thinking. Um, because eventually, he or she will blame you for their anger, and no matter how hard you work or how often you apologize, you can't close the account because the account is not with you. You're bumping into things they brought into the relationship. They're carrying their anger from season to season. They've lost sight of their hurt. So if you were God and you loved you, what would you say to you about anger? I would argue that it would be something like close the account. 
Because to carry it is caustic to you and to those you love. You need to close the account. You need to forgive. And actually, Paul says as much as he continues. He says, um, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Those are all conditions of the heart. And Paul says, listen, you need to root these things out of your heart because they are so devastating to the people you love and to your own quality of life. It's almost like Paul says, you know how you spring clean your basement or your attic? You need to do that. You need to do that with your anger. And we, we want to raise our hand and say, okay, Paul, um, okay, I don't know what it was like 2,000 years ago, but today um, it's just not that easy. You don't know what's happened to me. And I think Paul would, would speak to us and he would say, you're right, I don't know. And it's not easy. And you need to get rid of it. And for us, when we think about you know, getting rid of this stuff and forgiving people, what we immediately do is we say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. But we want to talk about who hurt us and how they are to blame. Well, let me tell you why I got this anger. Let me, let me tell you the origins, because if you heard my story, you'd understand why, why I can't forgive this person. And Paul would say, okay, that's fine uh, you, you, to get tangled with the issues like who's to blame, but that really isn't your biggest problem. If you go to the doctor and you learn you have cancer, your first question isn't, how did I get cancer? Your question is, how do I get rid of cancer, right? But you see, when it comes to issues of the heart, we spend time defending it because of how we got it. But if there's a way to get rid of it, we need to do it. And it really doesn't matter who's to blame moving forward. It doesn't diminish what happened. But it's like, as you look forward, you don't want to carry this thing with you. And we say, wait, but, but if I let this go, then I'm letting them go. And I don't want to let them go. They don't deserve to be let go. They hurt me. They owe me. That's not fair. And that is all true. Absolutely true. However, getting rid of anger is more important than getting paid back. Getting rid of anger is more important than getting paid back. Paul continues. He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. So he says, as you move away from the stuff, as you root that stuff out of your heart, what do you want to do instead? He says, be kind and compassionate to one another. Here it is, forgiving each other. And we want to object and be like, okay, time out. They don't deserve to be forgiven, Paul. They don't deserve it. After what they did, you got to be kidding me. And Paul would say, nope, I know this isn't about fair. This is about getting rid of anger because it's hurting you. See, forgiveness is misunderstood, but it really goes back to the debt-debtor thing. Forgiveness means to cancel a debt. It's to look at another person and say to them, you don't owe me anymore. Not because you paid me back and not because you made it right. I've just decided that the debt is canceled. You should have been there at my wedding. You should have been there at my graduation. You should have been there when I was a teenager. You should have been there when I was in need. And that's all true. But I've decided, I've decided to let you go. For years, I've wondered when you'd pay me back, but I've decided, you know what? You don't owe me anymore. You are forgiven. Forgiveness closes the door to the accuser and it closes the account. And it's one of the most powerful things that you can do to guard your heart. And it is one of the central messages that Jesus came to bring us as he invited us to move towards freedom. 
In fact, um, our big idea for today goes like this. Forgiveness breaks the power of anger. Forgiveness breaks the power of anger, and it's the only thing that does. And before you start to push back, let me show you what Paul does next, because he kind of does an end run around all of our objections and our not fairs. He says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. It's like Paul's command to forgive has nothing to do with what was done to us. It has everything to do with what has been done for us. It's like Paul argues, in light of what has been done for you, in light of the debt that God forgave in you, a debt that you could never repay, you were dead in your sins, God moved in your direction in grace and forgave you. And in light of that reality, you need to forgive those who hurt you. You owed God. The standard is perfection. God decided to close your account by sending Jesus to die for your sins. And it's like, I think Paul would say to us, you know, in light of that reality, and it's, it's a cosmic reality. Your, your story is, is your story, and it's big in your eyes, and cosmically, it's not that big. Cosmically speaking, you have been forgiven because of the blood of Jesus that flowed on the cross. And you've been invited to put down the ledger, to close the debt, and to move in the direction of freedom. Because the ledger, living by the books, is killing you. And it's wreaking all sorts of havoc in your relationships. And so he's like, would you just step away from the ledger? Would you close? It's going to hurt. The hurt's real. And to move away from the hurt, that's a big deal. But would you consider, because of what has been done for you, allowing this different sort of economy, the economy of the kingdom of God, would you allow yourself to step into that reality? And would you set the other person free? And I think if we were to have coffee at Starbucks with Paul, that'd be kind of fun, right? I think he would say something else to us. He would, he would look at you and say, you know, you can't really get paid back anyway. You've got this debt in this ledger that you've been carrying like for decades. You really can't be paid back. I mean, if your dad hurt you when you were a kid and came back today and wanted to repay you, he couldn't do it because you can't be 16 again. No one's got a time traveling DeLorean, right? You, you can't go back and do it right. So he says, let them go. It hurts, right? You're going to mourn it, but, but it is the process that leads us to a clean heart and ultimately the process that leads us to the best sort of life. So as we close, I want to um, give you three things to maybe help you apply this. And they're really logical, simple steps, hard to do. Uh, first one is this, identify the source of your anger. And your temptation will be to look at your immediate relationships. But I would challenge you, go back. Try to figure out where exactly that initial hurt came from. There's been subsequent hurt for sure, but where did that, where did that start? Would you go back a couple seasons, ask the question? because it's so easy to lose sight of the source of the anger. Number two, when you identify the source, decide what specifically they took from you. Because I've talked to friends before, and they said to me, you know, I just feel like I'm still, I'm still carrying this thing, and I keep trying to forgive, and it just keeps coming back. And like, what is that? And I always say, well, maybe, maybe you've never really understood and articulated what you believed was taken from you. Maybe it's sort of an abstract, and yeah, my relationship with my dad wasn't great, Right? But be, and I forgave him for it. But then every Father's Day, every Christmas, it comes back. And like, what is that? Maybe for you, it's a process of saying, 
okay, this specifically is who hurt me, and this is specifically what they took from me. And then, and then, and then the third um, is is just to cancel the debt. In other words, decide to forgive. And by the way, um, I've worked with people for a long time. The bigger the ritual you can make of this, when you have the clarity on what specifically you need to forgive, the better. I've had friends that have written letters to the person, even if the person is no longer on planet Earth, but written letters and then burned the letters, had the ceremony in the backyard and just let it go. Sometimes it was with another friend, sometimes by themselves. I have another friend uh, who basically uh, got a rock and said, this represents the thing that was done to me and the thing I'm letting go. And they took the rock out to the backyard and they buried it and they put like a stick in the ground. And anytime the feeling came back of like, oh, what they did to me was awful. They look through the back window, like doing dishes and they see the stick and they go, yeah, and I let that go. And it's a little silly, but it's not, right? Because these are matters of the heart and, and we need to learn to guard our hearts. The last step would just be um, stay in the habit of monitoring your heart. Keep short accounts because you want to keep your heart clean. Get in the habit of saying, as I have been forgiven for my sins, I choose to forgive others for their sins. So I just got to ask you a couple of questions. I mean, how long, how long are you going to allow the people who hurt you to control your life? As you walked in, how's your, how's your heart today? And just know that the God who made you and who loves you has invited you to leave the ledger behind and to step into freedom to allow the light of his truth and his grace and his forgiveness to begin to transform you. And, and if, if you follow Jesus for a long time, but you're like, I don't know that I look much like Jesus, friends, this is a critical step. This is where faith and life connect in a powerful way. And if we can trust that God is trustworthy and we can move in this direction, we will experience freedom that we can't find any other way. Forgiveness breaks the power of anger in our lives. Would you stand? I'll close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for grace when we fail and fail and fail and fail. Thank you for always inviting us forward. Thank you that you are with us. I pray for all of us in this space who know we need to let something and someone go. Give us courage this week as we maybe enter a process of identifying the hurt and the source. Give us courage as we, as we consider setting that person free. And as we do, may, may our faith intersect with your faithfulness. And I pray that our hearts would be clean so that we can be everything you intended us to be. So we bless you, we thank you. In the matchless name of your son, our savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Everyone said, amen. Friends, go in peace. We'll see you next week. It's who you are. It's who you are.